uh, as you read as we read that passage, you can see uh, as is Paul's kind of pattern throughout this letter to one Timothy, is he does sort of meander from one topic to the next, and and this is why we've uh, taken this approach of sort of picking out a topic at a time. Uh, and you can see in that final chapter that uh, that there's sort of two things, two prevailing topics. One is uh, this matter of false teachers uh, who are uh, who are causing strife in the church, and that is a thing that we've spent a good deal of time uh, unpacking. I would say over the last few weeks. The other is this matter of money uh, that he raises and he keeps coming back to uh, saying uh, in uh, verse <clears throat> uh, in verse 9 uh, giving a warning to those who desire to be rich uh, and in verse 17 warning those who are rich already uh, and uh, giving a bunch of other instructions in there about uh, not putting your hope in riches. Uh, a warning about the love of money uh, and what it can lead to. Uh, I was recounting uh, just last week over lunch to a few people uh, in this church a, a personal story of mine. Um, I can't remember if I've told it uh, here before, but I, I've told it to some of you. Uh, when I uh, moved here the very first time, 14 years ago at the age of 22, uh, I moved here as a graduate optometrist. I was, uh, for the first time in my life, I was on a good wage. Uh, I was single, I had plenty of freedom. Uh, I was from an upbringing that uh, financially I would say was basic, though not quite poor. Um, and, I, and I found myself in a new group of friends, hanging out with a bunch of fellas of similar ages or a touch older to me, who'd already had a few adult years working in the mines, uh, and who all seemed to have the toys and everything to show for it. Big fitted out four-wheel drives, motorbikes, ski boats, guns, power tools, just all the stuff that... Uh, you might want to have that me as a person fresh out of uni had none of just yet. Uh, And because I made my friends through church, uh, these were also guys who, uh, of about my age, would speak openly about their faith. Uh, I shared with them a Christian faith that they were able to talk about uh, openly and authentically. And I remember going home after visiting one friend uh, in his own house that he had already bought having played pool on his pool table, which, you know, you're 22 years old. That's the dream, right? Checked out his guns, walking past his boat in the driveway and thinking very consciously, this is, you know, maybe two or three weeks into my full-time working life, thinking to myself almost these exact words. I can have it all. I can hear in Emerald among these people... I can live out my Christian faith and have all the toys. And I thought, wow. Now make no mistake, uh, this was the private thought of a young man who really did want to live his life entirely for God. I'd grown up with fairly little, as I said, but always enough, materially speaking. But I had a very strong and uh, burning within to give my life fully to God and his purposes and to spare no expense in doing so. But it was that second feeling, second part of the feeling that was brand new to me at that time. Not only that here I can be a Christian and give my life fully to God, but here alongside of that I can also have everything that the world has to offer. You know, I I'd just received my first paycheck and I, I paid more in that pay period in tax than I'd ever received before in a previous pay period. I could be rich. I could have it all. Faith in Christ and all the extra fun 
on the side. And and wouldn't that just be the cherry on top that would make life truly full and good? That feeling of intoxication lasted less than a minute. Uh, It was followed uh, immediately by a distinct chill uh, because I felt really like I'd taken my first step onto a frozen lake. Uh, I knew uh, by learned instinct or by conscience or by the things I was taught in church or, or perhaps by God's spirit, I, I, knew, I knew that I'd taken my first step onto thin ice that could break and suck me under at any moment. Uh, I can't remember whether at that time there was an exact verse of scripture that came to my mind uh, or not. Uh, it was likely a cocktail of several verses or passages mashed together forming this general Uh, and real impression that wealth and worldliness are a trap. Wealth and worldliness are a trap, and they can draw you dangerously away from God. They are not a thing uh, to hold on to tightly as, you know, the cherry on top or the icing on the cake. Uh, They are a trap. How are these passages, uh, for example? Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, Or take the next passage that really should fill you, uh, I would suggest, with a combination of thrill and dread. Jesus' words, he says, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? What should a man give in return for his soul? And I say these words should fill us with a combination of thrill and dread. Thrill because following Christ plainly is a high and costly calling, a worthy calling, worthy of great price. But also dread because the stakes are either soul life or soul death. And today's passage takes us very practically uh, to this same place, especially with a handful of key verses from Uh, Chapter 6 in 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not godliness with guns and toys and cars and boats and all the rest. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It actually points us very clearly to the fact that godliness itself is the thing that is gain. Uh, And with that uh, and not much more, we ought to be content. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Maybe you've heard that said, uh, money is the root of all evil. Um, That's a common way that this verse is misquoted. Money is the root of all evil. That that is not uh, actually a a biblical way of thinking about money. But the love of money is a root of many kinds of evil. Now that's still serious. Uh, But it asks a question not of whether money itself is good or bad, but where is your heart and what do you love? And verse 18, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure, uh, as Jesus describes it, in heaven. So we're going to go through uh, roughly in order, uh, verses 3 to 10. Um, and I don't have all of 3 to 10, verses 6 to 10 are the only ones I've got up there. Because uh, as I say, he sort of, he, 
Paul in this passage uh, floats around through a, a couple of themes. There's this issue of money and how you use it and how you, whether or not you love it. Uh, and there's this issue of uh, these false teachers in the church who are causing strife. And, and he actually goes uh, from verse 5 uh, saying how these false teachers are among all the other problems going on with them. One of them is that they think that godliness is a means of gain. Uh, they think that if they can prove themselves in the church then they might get rich through it. And it's immediately from there that Paul says in verse 6, up behind me, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness itself is the gain. The lesson is to learn to be content with being godly and with what you have. And what do you have? Well, more than you started with, verse 7, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, Paul lays down here a really a powerful principle for how to view money uh, that necessarily impacts how you will use money. Uh, it's to realise that money only exists in this life. At verse 7, it says, We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, if you were to make that your entire philosophy on money and spending, then you could actually conclude two opposite things. Uh, let me demonstrate. If you had nothing to begin with and you can take nothing with you, then money is of no importance at all. It's fruitless and frivolous to fret and strive for cash. Or on the other hand, if you had nothing to begin with and you, can take, and you can't take it with you, then money is of extreme significance because this is your one and only chance to gain it and spend it and do what you like with it. And particularly if you consider money to generally improve life, then, well, then money climbs the ladder of importance, doesn't it? Uh, it becomes a, a, a nearly ultimate thing. As far as I can make out, the logic is sound in both directions. You, you can make a strong case either way. Uh, these two opposing ways of thinking about the significance of uh, money but also this life is represented uh, in the atheist community, in, in, in the world of uh, philosophy. Uh, traditionally, as I understand it, atheists have gone in roughly that first direction. Uh, so not thinking mainly about money but life in general. If this life is all there is and there's nothing that follows, then life is of no importance at all. It's pretty sound, logically, isn't it? Now, newer atheists have recognised that that's not much of a gospel uh, to share with your followers, and so they've gone the other way. They've sort of gone down path two. If this life is all there is and there is nothing to follow, then this life is of supreme importance. We must use this life well. Even if there's no uh, universal or God-given purpose to life, then it is our magnificent and one-off privilege to define our own purpose and make the most of this life. Well, it's logically sound. Uh, it's, it's more appealing than the first. But is it, is it more logical? It's still lacking something. Uh, but again, I see a reasonably watertight logic in either position. It, it kind of boils down to personal preference, which way you choose to live your own life. But this principle that money is a, is a fleeting thing for this life only is only step one in Paul's philosophy 
uh, of, of cash. Um, the second step is vital. The second step is this, that money is only for this life. You only have it for this life. But there is a life to come. And the way in which you spend money or your life in general matters for the life to come. But he gets to that later and we'll get to that later as well. So what we have so far in verse 7 is so far incomplete in terms of a whole Christian philosophy. We, re- we really shouldn't fall entirely one way or the other. Uh, we shouldn't say our money is of no importance. The Bible doesn't actually teach that. The, also, the Bible also doesn't teach that our money is of ultimate importance. Uh, but what we should do with this verse 7 is apply it in the way Paul himself who teaches it, who spoke it, applies it. He links it back to verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you had nothing to begin with and you can take nothing with you, then at least be grateful for whatever little you do for the time being have. It is part of the secret to contentment. He's not teaching you a philosophy of money. He's, He's teaching you how to be content. I was born with nothing. I will take nothing with me. Whatever I have is a blessing for now. Whatever I have. And he works that out further in the next verse, in verse 8. He says, if we have food and clothing, isn't that enough? With these, we will be content. I do think that's uh, quite beautiful, actually, as well. uh, That he he doesn't say, he doesn't quite go as far as saying that we we will be content with nothing. He says, if we have food and clothing... We will be content. There are basic necessities in life. There is such thing as not enough food. There is such thing as not enough shelter. And those things are things that must be rectified. And, and not everyone uh, has the means to rectify them for themselves. And, and, and it is a duty of God's people in, in love and care for others uh, to fill up uh, what's lacking. Jesus said you will always have the poor. So we've always got work to do uh, to give people what they need. But there is in this a a basic truth that anyone who has those basic things, provided they also have Christ, is not actually without anything of value. Verse 9, he says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow. Those who desire to be rich. He's speaking to the people who aren't already rich. Or maybe, maybe you can be rich and want to be more rich. But can you see how no one really escapes this? It's not just wealthy people who are greedy. People who are poor and who don't have enough can also be greedy, can be discontent. Uh, and, and he says that uh, you can, the, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, when he talks about ruin and destruction, uh, the implication here ultimately, uh, and he gets there further on, is judgment in the afterlife to be judged. But, the, but it's also pretty plain in here that he's talking about immediate pain that can come from people uh, striving uh, and fighting uh, for things that uh, don't matter so much. Uh, Maybe you know uh, the song, it's a well-known song, Cats in the Cradle, a song about a father who misses his own son's childhood uh, through uh, his own uh, devotion to his work. 
he realizes that in he realizes at the end of the song that uh, he has missed out on so much of true value in this life uh, by giving it all uh, to to making money. Uh, you can also uh, fall into the trap and uh, ruin and destruction uh, through the temptation to cheat or to steal. And these things come with consequences that catch up more often than not. But even for the person who they don't catch up with, wouldn't you rather have a little with a clean conscience than a lot with the fear of being caught? Well, you should. That's in the Bible too, by the way. And then verse 10 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, again, that many pangs may well be uh, the immediate consequences uh, of uh, of sin uh, that's driven by greed. Uh, But... Uh, but again, I think it straddles this idea of immediate consequences and future judgment. He says, he talks about them having wandered away from the faith. You can actually shipwreck your entire life and you can lose the godliness, the thing that matters, through obsession with money and goods. And that is what the next section seems to be mostly caught up in from verse 11 to 16. And I would say uh, the key Uh, message of this would be uh, you would find in verse 12 Paul says take hold of the eternal life to which you were called the implication being that it's possible to let that eternal life slip away Paul pivots from talking directly about money to say there is a higher calling and a more supreme purpose to aim for greater things a central principle in verse 12 take hold of the eternal life to which you were called Verse 11, he says, flee these things. Flee these things, sorry. Flee this uh, desire for wealth, the greed that drives some. Instead, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, that thing that is great gain. Pursue faith, pursue love, pursue steadfastness and gentleness. This is what... Part of what I love about Christianity as a philosophy, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it's only a philosophy. Uh, this is grounded in, uh, in a God who is there, who sent his son, uh, who gives us his spirit. But Christianity is a thing that can be taken hold of and lived with meaning and purpose by anyone, no matter who you are, no matter where you live. Uh, you could be in, you know, in a tribe whose territory is constantly under attack with people being kidnapped and sold for ransom and your job would still be pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You could be a celebrity loaded with cash, having to hide yourself from fans and your job would still be pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. This, even in, just in this one passage, Paul speaks both to those who don't have as much as they would like and those who have way more than they need. Christianity is not just about uh, lifting poor people out of poverty uh, with, you know, with sometimes uh, trumped up promises of great wealth to come. And, and it's not also not a religion that's just for the you know, white, wealthy, middle, upper class. Doesn't this apply equally to all? This is achievable, doable 
but still lofty stuff no one no matter where you stand fight the good fight of faith he says in verse 12 and this is where we realize that uh, back in verse 7 uh, where it talks about how uh, you came with nothing and you will leave with nothing well that's only the beginning of a philosophy of wealth remember if you started with nothing and can take nothing with you uh, logical philosophy alone can land you either saying that money is entirely pointless or that it's uh, almost ultimate but in these verses we essentially hear both that a is money is not entirely meaningless because how you spend it and use it might dictate something for your future life and it doesn't say that money is ultimate uh, because money is no way of gaining a future life or status in god's kingdom Uh, in these final verses, verses uh, 17 to 19, I've left off the last couple. It's a warning to the rich, as for the rich in this present age. Now, there's the usual thing here, I guess. Every one of us is rich. We live, you know, in Australia. <laughs> We're more wealthy than most people in the world, but... Also, don't feel the pressure to say that, uh, therefore, you know, we're all lumped in this same category in exactly the same way, because I know that uh, among us there are people who, uh, who are short um, and people uh, who have way more than they need. But still there is a warning to the rich. And verse 17, again, is, you know, this is another one that can actually be applied to you whether you're rich or not. Don't be haughty. Well, that probably applies to the rich. Don't be proud. Don't be full of yourself. Don't look down on others because of your wealth. It's, it's not actually a measure of your worth. So if you're rich, don't be haughty because of it. Don't act as if that's the thing that makes you matter or that other people matter less because they've got less. But it also says uh, to the rich, don't be haughty and don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That much does apply to both the poor and the wealthy, to the poor person who has set their hopes that maybe one day I'll be rich and maybe cuts corners or you know, uh, leaves other good things undone in this pursuit of wealth. But even if you've got you know, seven figures in your bank balance or you know, a superannuation plan that's just stacking higher and higher and higher, these things are still uncertain. Don't set your hope in them. Don't count on them. Don't let those be the things that help you sleep at night because that would not be godliness with contentment. That would be godliness with what you believe to be enough. Now, wealth is measured differently uh, by different people and in different stages. I, I talked before about my story of being in my 20s that uh, some of you, depending on whether you're male or what your age is, or not, might, you know, might, might think, oh, that, yeah, that stuff does sound really cool or you might think that stuff sounds really silly. Guns, ski boats, pool tables, fast cars, you know, sort of great and sort of lame. I, I already look at each of those things differently. I had a pool table for a while, didn't use it. Uh, if you're younger than in your 20s, it's gadgets, phones, the toys, the right clothes. Gee, some of us never grow up. It can still be the phone and the right clothes and the right toys, can't it? 
in your 30s, uh, maybe it starts to become about home ownership or having your child's nursery and wardrobe and toys all colour-coordinated in muted pastels so it looks just right. Uh, In your 40s, maybe it's the 20s things again, but they just come back a bit stronger and more expensive. You know, the ski boat becomes a fishing boat. Uh, The trail bike becomes a road bike. Uh, Maybe the road bike that you wear with leather, maybe the road bike that you ride in lycra. Uh, But these things sort of have a way of coming around. 50s and plus, wealth can be measured by the size of your caravan. God measures it like this. In verse 18, if you are rich, you are to do good. You are to be rich in good works. You are to be generous and ready to share. These are the things that make you rich. These are the things that will actually fulfill you in this life and the things that build up your storehouse in heaven. Verse 19. Thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life, eternal life. It's interesting, isn't it? One of our very core foundations that we will bang on about again and again here in this church and in many Protestant churches You don't get into heaven because of what you've done. You don't earn your way in. Uh, You don't try to tip the scales in the favour of good works over bad works and that's the thing that that gets you across the line. Salvation is a gift of God's grace alone in spite of our sin because of his love and his generosity. And yet what we do does matter. What we do can actually disqualify us. That is not to say... By the way, it is not to say that you might have a particular sin in your background that in your mind is so grave and you are so deeply ashamed of that you could convince yourself that God could never forgive you of that sin. That is not true. God can can forgive any sin. Jesus prayed on the cross that his Father would forgive those who were killing him, the very Son of God. And we learn in the book of Acts that some of those same people were saved and forgiven for their sins. Okay, so you you cannot have done a thing so bad that you cannot be redeemed by God. He gave his priceless son for your sins. But the things you do can disqualify you if you allow them to lead you away. If you allow those things to become uh, the ultimate thing. And, you know, Paul talks very plainly in here about the people who have made riches and wealth their life's goal and whose life has been shipwrecked because of it, who have been drawn away and they've lost their own faith. So we do have to be careful with what we do. And we can invest with what we do. One of the things that, that seems surprisingly clear in Scripture, although it's difficult for us to uh, probably quite grasp what it's all going to play out like, is that there's various rewards in heaven. Now, if you get to heaven, I don't think anyone's going to be scratching around going, oh, darn it, it's not as good as I thought. It's not as good as I hoped. But those who have given more 
and suffered more and sacrificed more will get more in heaven. It's going to be good for everyone, all right? No one's missing out. But it seems quite clear that you ought to store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. But you don't have to wait for the future because you can take hold now of that which is truly life. So at the end of all this, I strongly suspect, uh, as we read this, every one of us is going to have a thing or two to repent of. A thing or two, uh, whereas we hold up uh, these instructions to those who desire money or those who already have more than enough money, uh, things that uh, we'll see, oh, I've been drawn this way or that. Uh, My suggestion would be to make an inventory. Not of your assets uh, and not of your wealth, but an, an inventory of your heart. What, what is it you love? What is it you sacrifice for? It's godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you long to be godly? Or are you not content, always wanting more and more? Do you puff yourself up with pride because of the wealth you have or uh, or the savings you have or the house you have? Or are you content because Christ loves you and gave himself for you? And does that compel you to give and to be generous? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us everything we need. And we thank you that for most of us we are not um, uh, lacking materially. Every one of us has clothing and food. We have every reason in Christ to be content with what we have. And we confess uh, our discontent uh, that's expressed sometimes uh, in anger or jealousy towards others who have more or the things that we want. Uh, We confess uh, the times that uh, we sacrifice things that are more worthy for things that are less. We confess that uh, many of us, in fact, fall in the category of those who are rich. And wealth alone isn't a thing to confess, uh, but uh, we put our hope in those things. Our wealth is the thing that helps us sleep, helps us feel good or important or worthy. It's a grave sin. We confess it and we pray that uh, you will give us a new clean heart uh, that desires and treasures uh, things that are eternal. Father, we pray that you'll help us to uh, use the things in this world Uh, to bless people in this world and to lay up treasure even for ourselves in the next. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.